Well, I'm in over my head. No one told me. Trying to keep my footprint small was harder than I thought it could be. I'm in over my head. What do I really need? Trying to save the planet. Oh, will someone please save me? Trying to save the planet. Oh, will someone please save me? Welcome to In Over My Head. I'm Michael Bartz. My guest today is Dr. David Zing. Dr. Zing is a professor at and a former director of the University of Toronto Institute for Aerospace Studies and is internationally recognized as a leading researcher in the field of computational fluid dynamics. He has held a Tier 1 Canada Research Chair in the Computational Aerodynamics and Environmentally Friendly Aircraft Design since 2001. He also serves on the board of directors of the Green Aviation Research and Development Network, which brings together government, academia, and industrial partners to foster the development of technologies to reduce emissions. Welcome to In Over My Head, Dr. Zing. Thank you. In talking about sustainable transportation, one topic that always comes to mind is air travel. It's easy to imagine everyone driving electric cars or biking to work to reduce their environmental footprint, but planes with their massive size and how much fuel they burn, I mean, they are flying after all, they seem like an obvious culprit when it comes to the climate crisis. At the extreme end, some people have sworn off flying altogether, and I would guess that most environmentally conscious people have some reservations about booking that next flight to a far-off country. But from my perspective, solving the climate crisis isn't about turning back the clock on technology, quite the opposite. It should be one of our most important tools in fixing the problem. So to begin, let's start with the contribution civil aviation plays in climate change. In going through your research, you said that the contribution is relatively modest, which surprised me. Tell me more about that. Sure. So uh, aviation causes between 3 and 5% of human impact on climate change. There's a range there because we're uncertain about some of the impacts. So we're very clear on the impact of CO2 emissions. We're fairly clear on the impact of uh, nitrogen oxide emissions at altitude. We're less clear on the impact of contrails. So there are large error bars on the, uh, the impact of contrails. And in fact, recent data that's been become available as a result of the reduced flying during the pandemic suggests that the effect of contrails is lower than we have thought previously. So the impact of aviation could be you know, around three, three and a half percent of all human impact on climate change. So, you know, it's certainly important to be careful with flying, but uh, we won't solve the climate change problem just by stopping flying. There's a whole bunch of other things we have to do uh, in addition. Yeah, for sure. And it is, it is just one part of the solution. But I figure, I mean, you, it's not, you have to do one thing and not the other thing. You can do a range of, of different things to solve the problem. So, and I think, obviously, talking about flight is, is important. So other than the, the current situation with the pandemic, overall, is, is the demand for air travel increasing? Yeah, traditionally, uh, if you put aside recessions and, and pandemics, the demand for air travel increases about 4 to 5% per year, meaning that the amount of air travel doubles about every 15 to 18 years. But uh, it's hard to say going forward uh, as we go into the post-pandemic world and uh, a world that's more conscious about climate change, whether that will actually continue. And and so are emissions per passenger kilometer increasing or or decreasing? Yeah, they're always decreasing uh, historically at about uh, 1% to 2% per year, uh, primarily as a result of advances in technology. And if we continue to invest about the same amount in R&D, that would continue. And it's not enough uh, since demand grows more than 1% to 2% a year. So the impact of aviation would go up, which is one of the reasons why aviation has the target uh, on it. So we do need, urgently need increased investment in R&D. And another reason it's urgent is because it takes a long time to bring a, a 
technology to market in aviation because of all their safety requirements and reliability requirements. And also aircraft are flown for a very long time, like 30 years. So an aircraft that's going to go into production now will still be flying in 2050. So we need to make sure the aircraft we're producing soon are, are a lot uh, cleaner than the ones we're, we've been flying in the past. Yeah, that makes sense. If it's a, such a huge investment, they're not going to just fly it for a few years and then get a nuance like a car that you're leasing. So, Or an, it's not like an iPhone. Right, yeah. So it's definitely an investment. In your opinion, is there enough funding in R&D to help solve the climate crisis when it comes to flight? No, absolutely not. We have the uh, the kind of a lot of public pressure to uh, to reduce emissions from aviation, but we don't have the uh, a comparable investment. We definitely need to, if we want to uh, be able to fly in a in a way that is consistent with our carbon targets, we need a lot more R and D than we're doing now. All right, so maybe let's talk about some of the technology that potentially could come about that would help with emissions when it comes to flight. Some areas of your research include aerodynamic shape optimization and aerostructural optimization. How much of an impact does the shape of a plane have on its greenhouse gas emissions? Right. So the shape of the plane is relevant to its its aerodynamics and therefore its drag, which is directly proportional to the amount of fuel it burns. So historically, the reductions in emissions per passenger kilometer have come as a result of improved technologies, including aerodynamics, but also structures, materials, and engine technologies. Since 1960, technologies have reduced the emissions per passenger kilometer by over 70%. So uh, the shape of a plane has a huge impact on its greenhouse gas emissions. It might be a simple question, but is the shape changing a lot, or are they now minor changes compared to in the past? No, that's actually a great question, because you know anyone who looks up at the sky uh, sees that airplanes haven't changed much uh, from a big-picture point of view. Uh, the, sh- the general layout and configuration hasn't changed much for a long time. And so the question is whether in future that layout is still going to be the the best possible design. When I say in the future, once we consider environmental considerations uh, as a higher priority. So there are some alternative configurations potentially on the horizon that are being researched quite actively right now that might offer a a step change, a step improvement, which is what is needed. I know it's just audio, but can you describe some of those those changes, what that might look like? Yeah, the two that are probably most... uh, most likely to bear fruit in the medium term are the blended wing body or hybrid wing body, which is sort of a, you could call it a flying wing, but that's not quite accurate. So it's more that the the body where the passengers sit is blended with the wings. There's not such a distinct tube and wings as in current aircraft. So that's one with high potential. And another one is much simpler and therefore maybe easier to bring to fruition sooner is just a, a truss brace wing with some kind of a strut or multiple struts to support the wing to allow for longer wings without a weight penalty, which reduces drag and therefore improves fuel efficiency and reduces carbon dioxide emissions as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, and speaking of, of fuel efficiency, does the plane's fuel source affect its greenhouse gas emissions? Yes, very much so. So in addition to making the aircraft more efficient, the second way to reduce climate change impact is through the fuel. So currently aircraft burn uh, kerosene which is great for safe and economical flight, but leads to CO2 emissions and emissions of nitrogen oxides that also contribute to climate change. So biofuels have huge potential to reduce CO2 emissions, and they're still usable in current engines, but they have big challenges in terms of supply and cost. 
And then hydrogen is kind of um, also being looked at as a fuel for the future, but it's uh, a little too far away to help us in the short to medium term. Okay, let's explore these a bit more. So, what, sir, what are exactly what are biofuels? So a biofuel is a, basically a fuel that is made from a crop, so a feedstock. So you grow something, and during the process of growing that, you absorb CO2, and then when you burn it, you release that CO2. So there's some sort of a net balance between the CO2 absorbed and the CO2 emitted. Of course, it's not perfectly neutral because you have to transport it and you have to process and, and things. But it's, it's the net CO2, if you count both the absorption and the emission, is much better than kerosene. Okay. But you said there was a problem with sourcing it? Is there just a limited supply? Right. This is now something you grow, and most of what we grow, we eat. So you don't want to displace people's food crops with fuel crops. So you have to grow the feedstock for the fuel in a place where you couldn't grow food otherwise, which kind of limits uh, the type of... Uh, feedstocks you can use. Yeah, it would make more sense if it was maybe a byproduct that we already had that we could use that was maybe waste, but just to grow crops for fuel doesn't seem like a very good idea. Can you Let's quick touch a bit on hydrogen. How does, how does hydrogen power a plane? So hydrogen is a, uh, is a fuel like any other, um, but compared to kerosene, it uh, has a lower mass per power output, which is great but a higher volume per power output. So you end up having large volume tanks, which uh, makes the aerodynamics harder and could increase drag. But it's also got some challenges with safety and uh, infrastructure and handling and those kind of things. Yeah, so you said it was a bit too far out right now to to use that technology. Well, it's funny. I mean, I think uh, some companies are making quite a point of stressing hydrogen. And and it could be something that becomes the fuel of the future. But again, I stress that our climate change problem is is so urgent that uh, something that's going to help us starting in 2050 is great, but uh, we need other things too. We need things that are going to start helping us sooner than that. And so what are some of those things? Well, biofuels could ramp up faster than they have been. But I think the technological changes, even though they're smaller in their potential benefit, they're you know, 10, 20, 30, 40% when you, they accumulate, um, are more short-term and, and medium-term. So I think we really should pursue everything, both different technologies, but also different timeframes. Because you said that a lot of these technologies, because you purchase a plane and it goes for 30 years, perhaps it, it moves slowly. So do you see a shift happening in, in enough time to address the climate crisis when it comes to flight, as far as implementing newer technologies quickly enough? Right. So basically, there's, there's technologies that we have around now that could maybe reduce drag by 10%. Not nearly enough, but if those could be implemented and brought into service within five years, 10 years, then that would be great. Uh, larger step changes, 20 30%, would be further down the road. But again, with increased investment, these things can happen fairly quickly. And I think more quickly than something like hydrogen fuel, which which has a you know a development path that's going to take a while. So yeah, I, I think that the efforts that, that's gone into something like a truss brace wing or the blended wing body, there's no reason why it couldn't enter service within 10 years. I don't think it will, but I think it could. 
to me, it sounds like it maybe it's a funding issue or just not having enough resources potentially. It's a big challenge, like like everything associated with climate change, in that the the government has a certain amount of money to invest, and industry has a certain amount of money to invest, and industry needs to remain profitable. So you know the amount they invest in R and D, just because the challenge is urgent, doesn't mean they suddenly have more money available. So uh, it's a tough uh, it's tough nut to crack. Yeah, and like you said, if if the flight emissions are 3 to 5% of the overall picture, they're not going to be putting maybe as much into that as, as other solutions, which might actually be cheaper and, and more effective. No, absolutely. There is much more low-hanging fruit available in terms of, uh, you know, electrification of cars, but, but even more so getting more green power sources. I mean, we have to eliminate coal burning uh, and things like that. So yeah, there's much lower-hanging fruit than aviation around. So that's one of the kind of myths is that we should all stop flying because we can reduce the emissions from ground transportation fairly easily by going to electric cars. Fine, that's true, except as long as we don't switch over to electric cars, then we, like, there's much more benefit from switching to electric cars if you have green electricity than there is from stopping flying. There's, there's a bigger bang for the buck. Even there's other things, internet use. There's so many luxury products we get that we don't need. We don't know the CO2 emissions, the, those costs. We know what it is from aviation, but somehow we don't have an accounting that tells us how we can responsibly make decisions. Aviation has this uh, well-understood contribution, but I don't think people are quite as clear when they buy a certain product, how much CO2 was emitted to make that product and bring it to you, transport it to you. So I think if we have a more a transparent accounting, I think people can make better decisions. Well, that's a, that's a great point. I think for that, it's easy to imagine a big plane with all its fuel and flying in the air as being this huge emitter. And that's something that we could, if we didn't fly at all, then then we'd fix the whole problem. But if it's those smaller other things, like you talked about internet or, or the purchases we make, then that's good to talk about as well. Because I this show is about finding solutions and, and not demonizing certain industries. Let's Let's make informed choices. So this is really helpful. Yeah, I mean, I, I respect the activists who are uh, recommending that we reduce flying. But I, I think that to some extent, this target on aviation came from some early books and uh, articles where they tried to make the point that it's harder to eliminate uh, CO2 emissions from aviation than it is from other sectors. And therefore, if we want to reduce, say, our CO2 emissions by 80%, then we can do X in transportation and construction and home heating, but there's nothing similar in aviation. So therefore, the only way to reduce CO2 emissions by 80% in aviation is to reduce flying. And that's somewhat true. But again, it only makes sense to target flying if you've already done those other things, or if at least in parallel, you're doing all those other things and we're lagging. We still drive SUVs. We still eat steak. I mean, it goes on and on. Yeah, I find that very interesting that it is all part of the solution, but perhaps perhaps a smaller percentage than people thought it was. Yeah, I think it's become a bit out of proportion, yeah. Because it's, there's also sort of this notion that only the rich fly, and certainly there's some truth to that, but there's, you know, most things that have a big impact on climate change are done primarily by the affluent portion of the globe. I think we all know that, too. Luxury goods, even ground transportation, and the Internet usage. The poorest people on the planet aren't, aren't doing much of that. Yeah, and and I think you know the, the world is is so much better because we can fly. We can go across the across the globe in such little time, and 
And I don't think that, like I said, demonizing flying is is productive, actually, at all. Well, no, that goes back to your earlier point uh, about not setting the clock back. I, I think it's easy to kind of be a bit glib that uh, the only reason people fly is to zip down to Florida in the winter if you're a Canadian. But there's a lot of other reasons people fly, and, and it certainly has made the world a smaller place and has helped with global understanding. And uh, there's a lot of things that, uh, a lot of flights that are taking place that are not purely uh, a little trip to Florida. Mm-hmm. And obviously, if we can make these things more environmentally friendly, I'm all for that for sure. But one of your papers was on the preliminary designs for solar powered hybrid airships. And although this intended mission was for disaster relief in remote areas of Central Africa, it does make me wonder if renewable energy is something we might one day see in civil aviation. I mean, in 100 years, do you see all the planes being powered by renewable energy? Yeah, I mean, I think in 100 years, if we're still around in 100 years, then I think we have to be doing everything renewably. I mean, we'll, we'll run out of anything that's not renewable in 100 years. So Absolutely. I mean, biofuels are inherently renewable, right? You grow them and you burn them and, and you can grow some more. So, yes, absolutely. I think, though, that solar-powered and uh, electric aircraft are, again, 100 years is a long way away. But in the short to medium term, electric aircraft are might have a niche, but they won't help us with uh, long-range uh, flights. The battery technology is just not uh, not good enough yet and, and won't be good enough for a while as far as uh, anyone can tell. But 100 years is a, is a long way. Maybe that was too far. Uh, to be making predictions. 20, you know. 50 years from now, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the sooner we use solely renewable energy sources, the better off we'll be. I mean, there's no question about that. But is that technology even, like we talked about hydrogen a bit, but is some of that technology even being considered for, for flight or not as much? Yeah, I mean, biofuels were, were not that long ago considered the solution, and then somehow they got leapfrogged by... Uh, Hydrogen, I guess people got impatient with the rate at which availability of biofuels was going up and cost of biofuels was coming down. So I think we need to stay the course sometimes and uh, see these things through. Biofuels are a better solution in the short to medium term than hydrogen. You know, they can be used in current engines. There's, there's just so much less risk involved. So does a larger plane have lower emissions since it hauls more passengers? Yes. Uh, per passenger kilometer, a larger plane has lower emissions, and, and a longer flight is better than a short flight if you were measuring emissions per passenger kilometer. But of course, a long flight, and normally we use large planes for long flights, still emits lots of CO2, even though it's low per passenger kilometer because it's high in kilometers. So I, I think maybe the main point is that even though the long flights in the big planes emit the most CO2, we have so many more uh, medium-range flights that that's the bulk of the CO2 from aviation. So the the aircraft class that uh, emits most of the CO2 from aviation, the largest portion is the Boeing 737 uh, Airbus A320 class, those uh, single-aisle aircraft. There, there's so many of them making so many flights every day that that's the, uh, the largest contributor to aviation, climate change impact. Mm-hmm, interesting. Okay, well, that, that makes sense. And so... We've established that the overall emissions are maybe a lower percentage than we thought they were. But when it comes to civil aviation, is there anything that the average person like myself can do to ensure that these flights are more environmentally friendly in the future? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. If what we need to have aircraft that have lower impact on climate change per passenger kilometer, really the only path there is to have significantly more investment in R&D and aircraft engines and fuels than we currently have. 
especially from aircraft and engine manufacturers and governments like we discussed earlier. And what will spur this investment? So airlines need to put pressure on aircraft manufacturers to produce more environmentally friendly aircraft. Presumably, they'll only do that if the passengers demand it, right? So one crucial aspect, for example, is fleet renewal. If there's more fuel-efficient aircraft available, but an airline doesn't buy them, it continues to fly the old ones, then that's bad from a CO2 emissions point of view. And the benefit takes much longer to be be seen if uh, airlines hang on to their planes longer and longer. And if passengers always choose the cheapest flight, they'll encourage the airlines to you know buy the cheapest airplane rather than one that's more environmentally friendly. So if passengers are willing to pay a somewhat higher fare for a more environmentally friendly aircraft, then this could provide the airlines with the incentive they need both to renew their fleets more quickly and to pressure manufacturers to place a higher priority on environmental performance. I think this has to become a, a way of life, sort of a part of the marketing. This airline has to say, look, we use aircraft that uh, that emit less CO2 than than the other, than our competitors, and the public has to say, well, in that case, I'm going to fly with you. And then the next airline is going to go to Boeing and say, hey, I need an airplane that emits less CO2. I think that's the way the uh, the average person can contribute. But when you look at the airlines and how they market their environmental efforts, but they focus a lot on their own operations. So they've they've eliminated the amount of paper they use, or they've reduced the uh, their carbon footprint of their head office, or or even the operations of the airport. But what people have to realize is that's all dwarfed by the the impact of the in-flight operations. So what what happens in flight is much, much more significant than what happens in manufacturing the airplane or operating the airport. So that's where the main focus should be. No, that's that's very helpful. That's good to know because something I want to talk about is greenwashing. And I know a lot of companies do that to, to seem more environmentally friendly and yeah, not using paper or, or reducing small emissions in their offices. Yeah, you're right, is peanuts. So that's very helpful. Good to know. Yeah, and again, I'm not trying to discourage uh, airlines from saying maybe not using plastics in serving their food and stuff, but it doesn't make sense to do that and then not pay any attention to the CO2 emissions from the plane itself. Yeah, and like we talked about, if if people are if they're marketing this as a, a green alternative, people might look at a certain company and say, oh, they're doing all these environmentally friendly things. We should go with them, and and maybe they charge more. But but if their if their efforts are, are maybe let me say misdirected, or if they're not as effective as they could be, then perhaps that could be misleading. Right. If at the same time they're flying the oldest fleet of all the airlines, say, um, but getting rid of you know plastic forks and spoons, then uh, you know it's not uh, it's not quite maybe the best choice. Yeah. Well, well, thanks so much for your time, Doctor Zing. This has been very helpful. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for having me on your show. So that was my talk with Doctor Zing. I'm glad we covered the shape of planes, increasing efficiency biofuels, and the myth of stopping flying. But one of the most important parts for me was being informed when it comes to airline companies marketing their environmental efforts. After this interview, I was reading Mark Jacquard's The Citizen's Guide for Climate Success, which I highly recommend. In Chapter 9, he talks about carbon offsets. This is where you can pay extra to make your flight carbon neutral. Based on his findings, it seems as though these aren't an effective way to reduce our emissions. So we need to be pushing airline companies to make effective changes and not be swayed by slick marketing. Well, that's all for me. I'm Michael Bartz. Here's to feeling a little less in over our head when it comes to saving the planet. We'll see you again soon. In Over My Head was produced and hosted by Michael Bartz. Original theme song by Gabriel Thane. If you would like to get in touch with us, please email info at inovermyheadpodcast.com. Special thanks to Tell a Story Hive for making this show possible. 
I'm trying to save the planet, oh, will someone please save me?